Today's review by SD Sarah, titled Life Changing. I love this podcast. I get so excited for new ones, but always have my favorites that I continue to replay. Great job, Shalene. Hey, thanks so much for joining me today on The Shalene Show. Today, we're going to be taking a deeper dive into the root cause of eating disorders, as well as how to approach someone, a loved one, who you think may be struggling, what to say, what not to say, what's going through their heads, the best types of treatment, and what to do if you think maybe you are suffering from an eating disorder. That and more today with my favorite expert on the subject, Dr. Michaela Sarno. Welcome to The Shalene Show. Shalene is a New York Times bestselling author, celebrity fitness trainer, and obsessed with helping you live your dream life. First, I want to share with you just a beautiful, amazing, brave message that I received from one of you. And by the way, just a reminder, if you want to leave me a voicemail message, you can do so by visiting my website. Just go to shaleen.com. You'll see a widget on the side of the website, both on mobile and on your desktop that says, leave a voicemail message. This message really touched me and it is the inspiration behind today's episode. Hi, Shalene. I am a longtime listener of your show. I have been dealing with some things and trying to figure some stuff out. And this morning, as I was reading and praying and studying, I recalled an episode from you in the past where you mentioned something about anyone with an eating disorder has unresolved trauma from their life. And I thought, trauma? I didn't have any trauma. I do have an eating disorder. There's no trauma, though. I had a happy, normal childhood. Grew up in a loving home. Nothing major. Nothing. And I put it away and let it go from there. Well, this morning, that thought came back to me about the trauma. And again, I thought, is there anything? Is there something? What could it be? What could it be? And then with sudden overwhelming clarity, I knew what it was. I knew what trauma I had experienced as an eight-year-old little girl. And the details are not important. That's not the story. It has affected every relationship I've had with my parents, with my siblings, with my spouse, with my children. It has affected everything. And I knew what it was. I cried. I cried for that little eight-year-old. I cried for my whole life. And in looking to find some healing, I scrolled through your episodes to see. I know you've discussed dealing with past trauma, with childhood trauma. I knew I'd heard it before. I couldn't remember where. I scrolled through your shows looking for something, and I landed on episode 61 How to Get Over Your Past. At the end of his story, as you wept, you said, I wish I could hug you right now. I'm so sorry that that happened to you. Shalene, I felt like you were hugging me and telling that to me because the trauma that I had that I know is the root issue, I'm not going to share that with my parents. I know they suffered enough guilt over it at the time. And I don't want to lay that on their feet. As a mother, I know exactly how my mom must have felt when it happened. 
And she doesn't need that. But I needed that. And I got it from you. So thank you so much for all that you do. And for what a gift you give of yourself to the world. You are a bright spot in my life. And I love you and I thank you. Goodbye. And that is why when I listen to your voicemail messages, I always do so sitting next to a box of Kleenex because you just, you never know when you're going to get a message like that. It's beautiful. So thank you. You know who you are. I'm going to leave her name anonymous, but that was a really powerful message. And it came the same week that I learned one of my kids' high school English teachers had passed away from anorexia. Young, beautiful woman struggled for too long. And unfortunately, she lost her battle. And eating disorders aren't just anorexia. They're overeating, they're bulimia. You can't look at someone and know if they have an eating disorder. Today, we'll be speaking with our resident expert on the subject, Dr. Michaela Sarno. Dr. Michaela, thank you so much for joining us today. Totally appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. Thank you for having me on. I love talking about this subject. Just before we brought you on, I played this really moving message from a listener who explains in the message that she'd heard us talk about the fact that it's not uncommon for someone to have some unresolved trauma. It's not a guarantee, but a lot of times when someone is suffering from eating disorders, there is often an unresolved trauma. She shares in her message that she heard that and she really like racked her brain many years ago thinking like, gosh, have I ever had trauma? Like I have an eating disorder. She knew that. She was self-aware enough to know that, but really could not identify a past trauma. And then recently it hit her and she recalled something that happened when she was eight years old. First question is, so is that a repressed memory or is that something we've just not wanted to think about or not wanted to admit? Well, it could be kind of a combination of all of those things, but our ego is, it's self-driven. It's running all on its own. So for our protection, the ego takes particular memories, many that are going to be associated to why someone has an eating disorder. And it's going to tuck them away in a place that we're not thinking about them something that's going to be a foundation and prompt something like an eating disorder is going to be something that's going to be big enough that the ego will, in fact, put it away, which is why a lot of people don't know where disordered eating comes from necessarily. Sometimes they can, it'll come up for them just in investigating it a little bit, like with this particular person. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it won't come up for them, in which we we, we don't want to force anyone to try to think of memories because if it's repressed, it's repressed for a reason. And we don't really necessarily need to know that memory to know that an eating disorder is a result of a relationship trauma. Well, I'm glad you just said that because I would have assumed as a layperson that you might want to spend some time thinking about trying to pull that memory up. And, but what you're saying is if you're experiencing something like an eating disorder or an addiction, of any kind, you don't have to come up with the memory. You just need to know that you need help. Yeah. 
Exactly. And that there is, in fact, a way to recover completely from an eating disorder or just disordered eating. And I think a lot of people assume that binge eating or emotional eating isn't disordered eating, and it is. So what is going on? Like, would you say that someone who is overeating, that they are oftentimes dealing with some of the same painful emotions that someone who is restricting or is maybe anorexic or bulimic? Like, what do those two disorders have in common? What is in common is, yeah, there's an underlying trauma or what we call small T traumas. Yeah. I've heard from people written into the show, people explain, like, I went from being anorexic to then bulimic to then an overeater to now I waffle in between like all of these things. How common is that? Very common. I think with anorexia, you restrict for so long, eventually you're so hungry, you're still trying to maintain the same control or the same feeling experience, whatever you're getting out of it. You're just trying to find new ways to maintain it because it's exhausting. It's tiring. You just don't want to let go. What is it that they desire? Is it about the weight? Is it about the food? What's it about? It's about control. I think we've all heard that. It is about control and it's about distraction. Because the more we get involved in our relationship with our eating disorder, the less we have to think about whatever it is in terms of a memory, an event, something from our past, data in our memory network, the ego, eventually that stuff wants to come up. And we can hold that stuff out for a long time. We can do it throughout our 20s, usually with no problem. By the time we're 30, it starts to really want to come up. But our ego for our protection It's kind of like holding the door shut, but eventually it has to come out. And if it's these memories, they want to surface. They they want to be figured out. They want to be seen and understood and et cetera. But we don't necessarily want to. And our ego doesn't want to help us. So we may be, or someone who's suffering, maybe doing so, as was this caller, like really without knowing that there's or was some type of a trauma. I think probably most people would assume, especially with an eating disorder, that there isn't necessarily a trauma. Mm. But that's why we look at, we call them small T traumas. It it isn't so much about the trauma as it is the level of intensity of the feeling that we had relating to an event in our lives. But depending on how confusing it felt, how overwhelming it felt, how sad, how shameful, how, how whatever that's going to dictate how intense that memory is and how much it plays out in our behaviors. An eating disorder is just one particular symptom of trauma or small t traumas. Why does someone then with a trauma or small t trauma, why does it turn into an eating disorder as opposed to OCD or, or something else? Usually, statistically, people with sexual abuse are going to naturally flow into an eating disorder. Because when we talk so much about our relationship with food, well, why are we always using or referring to it as a relationship? And that's because it has to do within a relationship. Mm. That's, That's where it stems from. And that's why sexual abuse is always about a relationship, in which case eating disorders are the typical symptom we see. You know, you've always said that if someone's engaging in destructive behavior, it's serving some kind of a purpose. Like you have to recognize that first, like whether it's addiction to gambling or addiction to porn or an eating disorder. Like these are all like destructive behaviors. Well, how is an eating disorder serving someone unknowingly? Well, this goes back to child development. 
and whatever that original trauma was. And when I say child, it could be a child, an adolescent, a teen. But it goes back to the way child development works is children, adolescents, teens, they naturally, we don't want to see our parents or our caregivers or whoever, our aunts or uncles, we don't want to see them as negative. Children, adolescents, teens, they can't see those people at the time of the event as negative. So it's because it's detrimental to their survival. We have to see our caregivers as good and right, in which case, when bad things happen, we have to instead turn it on ourselves. Oh, okay. We see ourselves as wrong and bad. And, and that's much easier because children, they can survive by turning it on themselves. So an eating disorder really does serve a purpose in allowing us to, A, not have to face the caregivers or the people in our lives and the reality of what they were and what they did, as well as we're able to then put punishment somewhere, which is usually going to be on ourselves. It's a very self-hating disorder. Wow. And is it most common that the trauma someone might have experienced or the, the unresolved trauma, I should say, is of a sexual nature? Uh, sometimes. Well, there's a study in 2007 that in fact showed that there are many types of trauma that can be associated with eating disorders, including neglect, sexual assault, sexual harassment, physical abuse. There's assault, emotional abuse, emotional and physical neglect, teasing, and even bullying can be the cause. Mm. So those would all be forms of trauma. And by the way, what do you mean when you're saying small T trauma? What's that? So a lot of people have the idea that trauma is uh, just rape or trauma is, you know, car accident or these major things. Trauma is whatever felt traumatic to us at the time. For children, adolescents, teens, things are much bigger for them than they would be an adult. Small T traumas would be bullying, would be just getting a, a dirty look from someone, would be just feeling bad about failing a test and having high expectations of ourselves in the third grade. So those are small T traumas. So pretty much we all have small T traumas. Is that fair? Yes, fair to say. However, someone who has a history of sexual abuse of any sort on any level is going to typically have self-harming behaviors or behaviors where they're going to unconsciously want to look less attractive or cutting. But it, it doesn't have anything to do with the weight. And I think that's where a lot of people... Well, they'll focus, you know, we've got a problem. I've got this issue with my weight or food. Let me focus on the food and the weight. And that's not where this stems from, in which case that's not going to solve the problem. As loved ones, people who are there to support their family and friends or you know, just someone you know who's suffering from this. I know before, you know, you educated me as a fitness professional, even when I was teaching classes, if I had a student who I suspected was suffering from anorexia, I could see them withering away. My first thought was always like, how do they not know they're getting too thin? Why do they think they need to get thinner? Like I always thought before I knew enough that if they could just see themselves the way other people saw them. But what you're suggesting is that it isn't about the weight so much as it is about perhaps wanting to harm themselves or wanting to take control of their their emotions or to have a distraction, or it might be simply because they're trying to you know, take control of their body in such a way that they might not be attractive because of the sexual abuse. But it is not about the weight. It is not about the food. It is about pain. 
One of the reasons why you were inspired to help others recover is because you have recovered Mm -hmm. and you actually were diagnosed with anorexia pretty late for most people. I think they assume that's like a teenage girl kind of Mm -hmm. dilemma, but that inspired you. And because of the different modes of treatment that you tried and eventually really discovering that you could heal permanently. Is that something you can say? Can you say you someone permanently heals or? You can. You absolutely can. And when it happens later in life, it's typically because when we have children of our own at the age that our child is, will trigger that mm. trauma with wow. any trauma. And if you remember that my daughter was born and that's kind of around the time. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. of all things, there wasn't really anything. And I I remember the mindset, there wasn't going to be any solution. There was no way out. What do you mean by that? What do you mean? It means when your mindset gets so pulled into an eating disorder and you start finding the benefit of it, Mm. um, even if it doesn't feel beneficial, but when you find the benefit, it's very difficult. And you can, you know, when you hear about these people that cross the line and they end up in the hospital, you've committed now to finishing this eating disorder. And you're bringing us, which I love this. Thank you so much. You're bringing us into the mind of someone who has gone deep, like they are really being controlled by their eating disorder. You're saying in that moment, you don't think there's a way out. So the mindset is for someone who's got to that point is Mm -hmm. you are willing to die for that eating disorder and you have committed to that. And there isn't anything that's going to change it. It's like a commitment, a resolve. That's where you're at. And nothing's going to change that. Wow. And when you just now said, I'm going to finish this. What does that mean? We know that those that struggle with an eating disorder, that they will refer to a voice called Ed. Mm. Ed tells me this, Ed tells me that, just kind of a slang. So that's a slang term that says like, my eating disorder is telling me this, but they refer to it kind of almost giving it a personality, like Ed tells me this. Exactly. And they do that because when you are that far in, that voice is so opposite of your own. Like you feel a separation. This voice is telling you not to eat. This voice is telling you what to do. And so you really gain this relationship with this voice. Wow. And you commit to that voice is going to decide everything. And you know that it is such a sickness because when you're willing to die for this eating disorder, when you have children, you have a family, you have, you know, you know that you're that far in, but that's how far in you get. However, I always knew that when someone, an inpatient, once they were able to really distinguish the difference between themselves and this voice that they refer to as Ed, that they're on the track to getting better because that voice is really a voice. It's their own voice, of course, but it is that younger part of their personality that is so cut off that they actually have a dialogue that's different than the battle that we have in our head from day to day, but it is a different part of oneself. And once they start seeing it's them and this other voice that they refer to as Ed, now we can start having the dialogue as opposed to when we just talk to ourselves. Let's say we're amping ourselves up. Okay, I can do this. I got this. We're just talking to Mm ourselves. But when we're talking Mm -hmm. to another voice, we're talking to a different part of our personality. And that Ed is an eight-year-old 
the eight-year-old part of us or a five-year-old part of us or a 12-year-old part of us. Mm -hmm. And the only way we're going to heal is that we need to open up that communication between these different parts of our brain, more so the different parts of our psyche, our conscious and our subconscious mind. But that's who that voice is. And that's how treatment is going more towards today, the cutting edge treatment. Well, I want to talk about that in just a moment, different forms of treatment. And if, and obviously, not only have you lived this, survived this, but you've helped hundreds of people do the same. And you've worked in all the different modes. So we're going to talk about that in just a moment. Before we do, I would mm-hmm. love for you to offer advice to the mom out there or the best friend or the husband or the wife who is dealing with someone they love very much and they can see that they're deep in an eating disorder or they suspect it. What is helpful to say and what should we just completely avoid saying? Well, if we have a family member or a friend or somebody we know who's really struggling with an eating disorder, regardless of where they're at, what we don't want to talk about is you need to eat more or you need to do this or, you know, any of those things, because it's not about weight and it's not about food. And you're going to have the opposite uh, reaction mm. uh, by telling them what, what they need to do. Let's get away from the food. Let's get away from the weight. And instead, the things we want to say is how much we love them, how much we're going to be there for them, and also how much we are not going to do things that are going to contribute and help them to have their eating disorder, just like we would an addict. Mm. You know, we love them so much, we're not willing to watch them kill themselves. But at the same time, the last thing we want to do is give someone with an eating disorder the idea or the feeling that we're going to abandon or leave them. They're already in their detriment. They're already feeling hopeless. That's the last thing we want to do. We want instead to send them a message. I'm here and I'm not going anywhere, Mm. but I'm also not going to support this. So we have to come up with a solution. Okay. It's such a knee-jerk reaction, especially with women, when we see someone who's lost a scary, even a scary amount of weight. Mm -hmm. The knee-jerk reaction is to go, oh my gosh, you've lost weight. You look great. And then we whisper to our girlfriend like, oh, she looks horrible. What's going on? Like, it's Mm -hmm. such a knee-jerk reaction. And I have to imagine that if you're in your disorder, that's one of the ways you gauge if, in fact, it's working. In other words, when you compliment someone who is thin, let's say it's someone who is not quite so obvious in their anorexia, that feeds into it because yeah, they're doing their job. It's Mm. working. And it's less about, oh, they're saying that I'm thin, maybe on some level for that individual. Okay, this is good because that's what I want to look as thin. But sometimes even when you're in your eating disorder, you might even think it's about being thin. Oh, okay, sure, sure. Even though it's not, it's a much deeper level. But I will say in terms of, you know, if I can just channel back for a second, because I think it's really important when, you know, when I mentioned how when you get so far into an eating disorder and these self-harming behaviors and that you're willing to now just give into the eating disorder and why you want to hurt yourself, the reason why you get stuck on that track is because you believe that you are as a result of wherever this is coming from, worthless or whatever that really negative belief is. And in that case, it's much easier to continue to hurt yourself and punish yourself 
as a result of wherever this is coming from. The change occurred to me, and I think you might recall this mm-hmm. many years ago when I asked, I think it was just at the very beginning of when I was starting school, and I, I was very genuine in asking you this. I really believed it. And I said, do you think it's possible that what happened to me with that relative, how could I possibly have any worth after something like that? Wouldn't somebody just lose their worth after doing something like that or something happening to them? Do you remember I said something yeah, like that? Yeah, I do. And, mm-hmm. and you responded back. And I was surprised because I was being very honest. And you responded back that it made you very sad to hear that, but that what happened to me didn't make me worthless. And it's almost like later I learned when someone disrespects you, they lose their dignity. You don't lose theirs. They lose their worth. You don't lose yours. But that was such a key thing because if I hadn't gone on to learn that the very thing that was causing me to harm myself was the belief that I believed about myself in relation Mm. to what happened. That's what needed to change. But that wouldn't have changed had I not understood that it was there and that what really was the more truthful conclusion as a result of what happened. Wow. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. Yeah. And I remember you asking that and and my instinct was to think, is she joking? Like, She's so smart and I've learned so much from her. Could she really, truly believe that to be true? And you helped me later to understand that the person who I was answering that question to wasn't, you know, Michaela, mother, friend. It was Michaela who was in the mindset of the trauma, like almost like a child, like almost answering it for a child. It was. And and remember, because we met when I've first started graduate school. Mm -hmm. So this is when I really started thinking about these things and trying to understand, you know, if I feel this way, but how is this possibly going to change? Because in my mind, and I think for most people with an eating disorder that are able to associate it with real trauma, how could that say anything good about me? Mm. How could that not have left me being worthless or unlovable? And that makes a lot of sense for someone who hasn't begun to do that work. Yeah. And I know you have a limited amount of time. You've got clients that you see. And today you're at the office. So thank you for taking this time with us. Can you Mm -hmm. just briefly walk us through what type of treatment options? I mean, there's a lot of them. Obviously, there's I'm going to read some books and listen to some podcasts and fix this myself, which is like, I think, thinking you can listen to a podcast about how to give a root canal and then giving yourself one. That's my opinion. But Mm -hmm. from there, there's different types of therapies and there's inpatient and then there's treatment centers and there's cognitive therapy and there's exposure therapy, I guess. Mm -hmm. And there's hospitalization. You know, there's all these things. What, in your professional opinion, is the quickest, most permanent way to seek help? Okay. The reason I went into private practice is the last place I worked was inpatient eating disorders. And we were, it's the common using DBT, dialectical behavioral therapy, and cognitive behavioral therapy to treat our clients. And the relapse rate was tremendous. You were working at a place where people would come and stay for 30 days, 60 days. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, depend 30, 60 to 90, who were at that level in which I shared earlier, where they had committed to it. And so they'd come and they'd stay and and we would treat them. But the type of therapy we were doing 
was not necessarily getting at the root of the problem. But when you think Mm. about an eating disorder, this is a very deep wound. It's like trying to recover from heroin. And you'll notice a lot of people will stay in recovery, but always have to manage or maintain. I have found out since then, though, that we don't have to, with Mm. any addiction, manage and maintain. However, the difference is, is, you know, if you're dealing with a very deep wound, such as something that's going to you know, show symptoms of an eating disorder, then you have to use a very deep type of approach. And DBT, dialectical behavioral therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, that's not a deep approach. That's working on the behaviors. That's oh. like telling someone you need to stop over-exercising or you need to start eating this way. That That's all conscious work. And that's what wasn't working. So in order to recover from an eating disorder, in my opinion, and in all the years I've been doing this, we have to use an approach that's getting into the deeper areas of, one might say, the brain, as opposed to getting into the deeper areas of the psyche. Otherwise, it's like trying to you know, treat cancer with aspirin. You have to get, and there's only so Mm -hmm, many. So mm -hmm. then one says, well, what type of therapies get into that deep area? Mm -hmm, Well, mm -hmm. there's hypnosis, there's neurofeedback, but that isn't really touching in on memories or beliefs. There's a lot of new age type of therapies, but what the latest movement is, is treating for the first time with eating disorders, psychoanalysis and working with self-states. Because we know with psychoanalysis, which also supports the whole concept between EMDR therapy, which is a lot of your listeners know something that I also specialize in, getting into the deep reservoirs of where these traumas lie. Because when we have events in our life that happen, your brain, your psyche, it takes the positive memories, puts them somewhere, and it takes the negatives and puts them somewhere else. But we know it doesn't put them in the same place. In which case, if we're going to treat somebody with an eating disorder, we've got to go to the place Mm. where we know your psyche is going to put the traumatic memories. Mm. We've got to get to the root cause. I think what I'm hearing you say is you've got to get to the root cause. Otherwise, you're patching a hole in a boat without ever really understanding where the hole is. Exactly. And, you know, to put it like in a very basic, we know only so much about the psyche, which is why we talk about the brain so much. The psyche is where all the work is done because we know the one big thing we've learned about the psyche is it suddenly became aware of its self. That's how we know we have a self. Mm. We know from dissociative identity disorder, we know that the psyche has the ability to put up a wall in between two parts of its one self. That alone tells us that we've got more than one part, in which case when we're doing psychoanalysis, we're dealing with the part of them that has the eating disorder. When we're doing treating somebody now, we're treating obsessive compulsive disorder using psychoanalysis, which is focusing on that part of them, which means the eight-year-old that had the trauma, the 12-year-old that had the trauma, the the seven-year-old. We're noticing that the person with OCD that keeps locking the door is dissociating into the part of them that keeps forgetting that they've locked it and they're checking it. So we're working with a particular part of oneself. That's the memory, the trauma. When we're doing EMDR, this bilateral movement that is part of the protocol, the process, eight phases of EMDR, that's activating the two parts of the psyche, the conscious and subconscious mind, because we've got to get to that part of 
oneself that is technically the memory, the trauma that's now a bundle of data that's pushed deep down into the reservoirs of the psyche. So we have to get into that one part in order to treat. Otherwise, when we do traditional therapy, when we read books, when we try to change our behavior, that's all conscious work. Mm. And it doesn't change anything because we're not getting into the part of that person that really holds the trauma. And for the sake of saving a little bit of time today, I'm going to link to an episode where we talked pretty extensively about EMDR therapy. Obviously, this is something that Dr. Michaela has a tremendous amount of experience and expertise and is a sought after expert on this topic because of the success that she's had with her clients. So we explore that in this episode. You'll find a link to it below in our show notes. You know, and thank you so much for everything that you share with us today. Now I've listened to this episode. How do I find treatment for my loved one? Do I look up EMDR on Yelp? Like, where do I go? And so is, is it your suggestion that people start with trying to find maybe an EMDR specialist? Or should they consult with someone specifically who has experience treating those with eating disorders? Well, I think that if this was my family member, yep. that the way I would approach this, knowing what I know is I used to refer to treatment facilities that did EMDR. Mm-hmm. But treatment facilities, what I found is I don't necessarily refer to them because they will promise, not all of them, but they will oftentimes promise they're going to do EMDR. The client gets in there, they do one or two, and they're not really engaged in the treatment. That's the most important part of treatment is is the therapy. So I would look for some an EMDR therapist, which you can go to emdr.org. And that's the safest place because all of those EMDR therapists are accredited by the Institute because anyone can get trained in EMDR. We don't know from who or where. So you always want to go with the Institute. Every EMDR therapist has their own therapy approach. Mm -hmm. So you could have an EMDR therapist that does CBT or that does DBT. So if you find an EMDR therapist that does psychoanalysis or ego psychology or working with self-states, I think that's your best bet because they're now combining a type of therapy that goes deep into the ego that is really the foundation of what EMDR is. So it's really a perfect marriage. And when you go onto EMDR.org or you research any EMDR therapist, you want to ask them what type of therapy they use in combination with EMDR, because EMDR on its own is not a sole therapy. It's fascinating. And it's wonderful to have this type of resource at my fingertips, because in so many ways, you've served my community and I appreciate you and I love you. Any last parting advice for our listeners? Yeah, I just want people to know that they can have hope, that there is an end to struggling with disordered eating or an eating disorder. Mm -hmm. And if I can be of any service to anyone listening, if you want to reach out, I do Skype sessions, uh, Zoom sessions, and just to give you an insight of exactly what's happening, where Mm -hmm. it comes from, steps to take, and how this can change. And that's what inspires me to do what I do is knowing that it can change and that it's not something we have to live and struggle with for the rest of our life. Thank you so much. You're awesome. We appreciate it. Everybody, please be sure to follow Dr. Michaela on Instagram. Take a screenshot of this episode. Let her know you listened. Tag her. It's at DRMC 
A-Y-L-A. And if you're interested in taking her up on that offer and perhaps even working with her, even those of you who don't live in Southern California, you can learn more by going to our website. That is drmichaela.com. And the link will be found below in our show notes. Dr. Michaela, I love you. Love you too. I have a quick question for you. Are you trying to lose weight or just be healthy or just feel more confident and happy? Well, in order to do that, you need a new way. You see, the problem is losing weight, it's hard. And keeping it off feels almost impossible. At the one through one Method, we have helped over 50,000 people find a new way, a much better way. Okay, so here's how this works with our online program. It's three simple steps. You go to 131method.com, you start it, you slay it, and you own it. Step one is to start it. You do that by identifying what it is you want to work on. What is your priority? Is it weight loss? Is it gut health? Then you pick a start date, you log in, and go. Step two, you slay it. What does that mean? It means you get your meal plans, you select from hundreds of delicious, simple recipes all online, including cooking tutorials, and then we'll help you change up the way you eat every four weeks. That is going to boost your metabolism and it's called diet phasing. We'll help you personalize the process because hello, one size fits all diets do not work, they never have, and they never will. We all need our own individualized approach and our registered dietitians are going to help you do that so that this is something that you can do for life. And then step three, you own it. No more wasting time with fad diets or wondering if you're doing something right. It's time for you to take control of your health, to heal your relationship with food and your body. And we wanna help you lose the weight and keep it off. You deserve to look and feel freaking amazing. So do yourself a favor, go to 131method.com and let's do this.